BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. When you're having success, whether you're a baseball player at the plate or a gambler in a casino or you're part of the fight club, what's the first rule of fight club that Brad Pitt says? The first rule is you don't talk about fight club. You don't talk to a pitcher who's throwing a no-hitter. You don't tell that pitcher, hey, you know what? You got a no-hitter going, guy. Unwritten rules. And yet here I am. You've heard me talk about it. Enjoying a epic run in picking the Pac-12 games against the spread. I, no, no, full disclosure, I have not been betting on these games. But I am 17-3. and three. I've caught lightning in a bottle somehow. In my last 20 Pac-12 games, 17-3, and three, I'm going to give you the picks, my picks for the week, right off the top of the show. We'll debate them. We'll see if we agree. I flip-flopped on a couple of the, uh, couple of the outcomes that I talked about yesterday. Thought more about it overnight. Did a little more homework. A little more gut. I'm less data, less analytics, and more gut with these games. I know these Pac-12 teams. Anna asked me, she said, how is it, how do you, why do you think that you are uh, picking these games lately at such a hot clip? And I said, I know these teams. These are teams that I've watched. I kind of know what, uh, I know what to expect. But, you know, Brad Pitt said it in the movie Fight Club. The first rule of Fight Club is... You do not talk about Fight Club. Second rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. That's how you do it, but I'm talking about Fight Club on today's show, and I'm also knocking on wood underneath the console of the, uh, of the radio studio that I am in now. Um, I am in Studio A. We're going to give our picks off the top of the show. we got a great show for you today. Jaden Grant will be joining us, Oregon State team captain. Softy from KJR in Seattle. Oh, Softy, he is the biggest Washington honk in the land. You know Softy from KJR in Seattle. Um, it, it, he, Softy never, never fails to uh, deliver when he's talking about Oregon and Washington. Now, he's the biggest honk, as I mentioned, for the University of Washington. He bleeds purple. You know, it wasn't that long ago. I think it was five, six, seven years ago. He came on this show. He was all fired up about the uniforms that Oregon was going to wear in the Oregon-Washington game. What will Softy say today? He joins us at 4 o'clock. Here's that rant from six years ago. The Oregon Ducks are sitting there at what, 2-3? and three? Is that right over yep. at 2-3, and three, John? 2-3. and three. Okay. They're 2-3, and three, and I'm still looking at flipping ESPN sending out Twitter alerts because of the uniforms that Oregon's going to wear for the game on Saturday. Who gives a damn? They're two and three. They're a non-factor from a national perspective. And ESPN is sending out alerts telling us what the hell uniform combination Oregon's going to wear on Saturday. Why do I care? And why should anybody care about that? And what the hell is this web foot nonsense? Are you kidding me? How ridiculous is that? You know what? Get a kicker, kick an extra point, and wear the same damn jersey for every home game like every other stinking college football team does. There it is, Softy KJR in Seattle. He'll join us at 4 o'clock to give us the latest. Uh, wasn't that long ago? I think it was like it was the 2019 game. You remember the 2019 game at Autzen Stadium? Mario Cristobal punching it in late. Uh, Washington having a chance to kick a field goal. I can remember Softy. He was not at the stadium because, uh, you know, he was at home. He was sick. Remember, he was going. He went Facebook Live. And his wife was there, his 
Cat was there, and, you know, it didn't go well for Softy on I, that day. I feel like shit. My head's killing me, and I don't give a damn. Let's go, Peyton. He's got this. He's going to make this kick. You and I both know he's making this kick. He is going to make this kick. Here we go, baby. Come on, Peyton. Come on, Peyton. Let's go, big boy. You got it. 38 yards. 38 yards. 38 yards. Come on, Peyton. Come on, Peyton. You got it, baby. Let's go, big boy. Let's go, big boy. Ah, Mario's getting nervous. <coughs> Come on, man. I would have liked to have had a little more. I didn't like running the clock down at the end there. I thought maybe run one more play and try to get to 34, 35 yards. But, hey, just, all right, it's okay. 38 yards. If I would have told you before the game that we'd have a crack at a game-winning 38-yard field goal, I think you would have taken it. And we asked this question before the Auburn game earlier in the year, but we said 40. Now it's 38 at Oregon, and you're talking about game seven, not game one. <sighs> Look at this. Okay, you have nervous. to stop talking. Stop talking. Come on, baby. Come on, baby. <coughs> the big one's upstairs. Wilkers, whatever the hell your name is. Everybody asking, why don't you have a bigger TV? The bigger TV's upstairs, okay? My niece lives with us, and that's her room now. That's why the TV's upstairs and why we're down here, for crying out loud. Stop asking me why we have a small TV. We don't. Make it. Here we go, baby. Come on, Peyton. Come on, Peyton. Come on, Peyton. Oh, Jesus Christ. I hate this guy. Come on, Mario. I hate this guy. Ah, s***. And he made that one, just like freaking Matt Bryant missed it against it. I hate this I hate icing the kicker. I hate the targeting rules in college football, and I hate icing the kicker on both sides. Their side, our side, I don't give a whose side, anybody's side. Get it out of the game. Get that crap out of the game. It's driving me freaking crazy. The call on Jalen, the call on the other guy for Oregon, Carl's bad, whatever the freaking hell his name. Terrible. Ruining college football. Hate it. God. Come on, baby. Come on, baby. Come on, Peyton. 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 You got it. Snap, hold, like an opera. Every everything's a piece. Just fluid motion. Come on, Peyton. Come on, Peyton. Come on, Peyton. Come on, baby. Come on, Peyton. Come on, Peyton. You got it. Come on, Peyton. Unbelievable. He missed the kick. Why is that so funny? Steven and Judah, why is that so funny to hear somebody's misery? Why is that? <laughs> that was funny. Um, yeah, I mean, you could just see, like, hear the emotions that he's feeling. Like, he doesn't even know what to say. He's just then he's going off on rants about the targeting rule. Like, he, he just had to go <laughs> oh, off about wow, everything. So it was it was great. Oh, man. That's like why is favorite, that funny, Judah? favorite piece of audio that we have on the show is, is that piece of audio of Softy. Was that your first time hearing it, Steven? That was, yeah. It yeah. gives me, it makes me smile so big every time. I don't know what my favorite part is. Is it well, like the, the big TV's upstairs? Is it the coughing in the yeah, middle? Is I, it the, hi, Abby, <laughs> when Abby comes in the room? Yeah, I, I like the rants that he goes on. Like, he's you know he's so nervous about the game, and then all of a sudden someone makes a comment to him, and then he has to rant about that. <laughs> Right, like, like it just is so. It's so just like smooth and vain. I'll make the kick. Oh, I hate the targeting rules. Where, where's the TV? We got a big TV. Like it's just back to back, so smooth. The, the the rants. I'm all about it. I love it. He's coming on at four o'clock today. We will uh, we'll get uh, Dave Softy Mahler from KJR in Seattle on the show uh, at four o'clock. 
Uh, also on the show, Jaden Grant coming up later this hour, bottom of the hour. Guys, let's do our picks. Can we rip through our picks here? I would love to get to our picks. Um, we're going we're gonna to go through these. If you are a uh, Pac-12 fan, you can follow along as well. Think about what you would do. I will introduce the pick. Steven, uh, let's have you start on the Friday night game. Colorado's at USC, Friday at 6.30 on FS1. USC is a 34-point favorite. How do you see the game? Your final answer on this one. I'm going to go with Colorado, and I'm going to take the points. Uh, it could be bad right away, and it could be a 50-point loss, but I do think that USC defense is struggling, especially recently. So I think Colorado's going to score just enough uh, to stay within the 31. I'm going to go with you on this one. I think Colorado gets 21 points. I think they're going to score three touchdowns. They're getting 34 points, so that puts them at 55, and I don't think USC's going to get there. I think it's 49 21 USC, so I'm taking Colorado and 34 points. Judah. USC 47, Colorado 20, so make that three of us. Colorado three of us. We agree. Points. We agree on the Friday night game. Arizona State's at Washington State Saturday, 1230 Pac 12 Networks. Judah, start us on this one. Washington State is an eight point favorite. They made me look like an idiot last week picking Stanford, so uh, I, I'll, I'll go with the Cougs here covering the eight, uh, 34 to uh, 24. I feel like this might be a little bit of an overreaction to the dominant win by Washington State over Stanford, but I don't think Arizona State wants any part of going to Pullman yeah. in November. So I'm going to take the Cougars. I don't like it, but I'm going to lay the points. Yeah, the the at kickoff, the game will be in the high mid to high 30s, okay? So the kids from Tempe, I'm not feeling the love for this game on their on their side. Meanwhile, I thought Washington State showed us something against Stanford last week, and here's what Washington State's playing for. They're hunting for win number six. That's bowl eligibility. So I think Jake Dickert's team's got something to play for. I won't be surprised if this game's close in the first half, but the Cougars have the better defense. They have more to play for, and they're at home. Washington State is going to cover the eight points. I have it 31-21. Washington's at Oregon, Saturday, 4 o'clock on Fox. I'll go first here. I think Oregon's just too good for Washington in this game. They're number six. They're in the playoff race. Some style points will matter now. I think they know that. I think Washington uh, has got a good thing going with Kalen DeBoer at, the, at coach and Michael Penix Jr. at quarterback, but they're not going to be able to go touchdown for touchdown with Oregon in this game. Oregon's going to score 48 points in this game. They're favored by 13.5, and, and they're going to cover it. It's 48-27, Oregon over Washington. Judah. 49-27 is, is what I wrote down. So there you go. I, I think the same way. Duck avalanche at Autzen. Oh, man, I, I'm going to go against you guys. I talked myself into it yesterday. Again, Washington leads the nation in passing yards per game. That passing attack is great. The Ducks, 127th in the nation, pass yards allowed. You know, I think it's it's the strength versus the weakness. I think Washington's going to be able to score enough with them to stay within the number. I think Oregon wins, but I think Washington can stay within 13.5, maybe lose by 10, maybe lose by 7, but I think it's going to be a closer game. Cal is at Oregon State, Saturday, 6 o'clock, Pac-12 Networks. Uh, Research Stadium uh, does something with the Beavers. I mean, they're 9-1 in their last 10. They play great defense there. They're a 13.5-point home favorite. Steven, start us out. Oregon State, Cal, what do you see? Yeah, yesterday I was kind of feeling Cal, but, you know, digging into it a little bit, I like Oregon State. I think Oregon State's going to cover this game. You know, talking, you're talking to Jonathan Smith, and it seems like they're really focused on what they got to do to get to that, you know, 8-3 and three record to go against Oregon, try to get 9 wins, try to get 10 wins. I think the offense is going to be uh, clicking a little bit. I don't trust that Cal offense. So I think Oregon State's going to you know, dominate this game, and they're going to cover. Judah. 
Beavers 30 to 16. So I have them covering the number and uh, and the game going under. The total's up 49. I think it's a little lower scoring. Yeah, I think the game's going under for sure. I think it could be in the low 40s. And yesterday I was leaning Cal. Today I flipped because I started thinking about how good Oregon State is at Racer Stadium. They're just different there. I think they're 7 to 10 points better. I think Cal's really going to struggle to score in this game. And, you know, I've seen Cal this season. You know, they got to 20 against Colorado, but they needed overtime to do it. I think Oregon State's defense at home will give Cal big-time problems. I'm going to give Cal 14 points in this game. I think they can get to 14. I won't be surprised if they only get 7 or 10. But I'm going to give them – I'm going to be generous. I'm going to say 28-14. I think Oregon State barely covers. They win the game, but they cover. And I think Oregon State gets win number 7. Stanford's at Utah, Saturday, 7 o'clock, ESPN. I'll go first here. I, I feel Kyle Whittingham plotting. He's like Utah's whole season is geared toward November 19th, next week at Oregon. For that reason, I think the Utes are going to get ahead early against Stanford. I think they're really going to run the ball in this game. Keep an eye on their rushing attempts in this game. I think Kyle Whittingham wants to shorten this game. I think he wants to get out of there without Cam Rising taking uh, you know, some big hits at quarterback. I think that they'll try to get their run game going. I think they'll try to get ahead and get some guys on the sideline and rest their starters for next week with Oregon. Utah's a 24-point home favorite in this game. I'm going to do the unthinkable with Utah at home. I'm going to take Stanford in 24 because I think it's Utah 38, Stanford 16. I think Stanford with the points is the right play. I think you're crazy in this one, John. I'm going to go against you. I, I, you know, Rice Eccles Stadium, we talked about Corvallis and Racer Stadium, and that was one of the reasons why you and me both flipped the Oregon State. I think it's the same thing here with Utah. I think Utah's going to cover this game. And even if they do, you know, quote-unquote, rest some of their guys a little bit to get them healthy, I just don't think the Stanford team is putting up much of a fight. I think Utah gets it done by a lot. Just like last week uh, against Arizona, I think they covered the number. Yeah, I'll take Utah to cover 40-13 to 13 only because Stanford – Oh, they just make me feel bad. So yeah. I'll take Stanford's Utah. bad. Do you think there's any? Like, there's part of me too that goes, okay. I think Utah's going to shut some guys down. I don't think they're going to have Cam Rising throwing a whole bunch of passes in this game. They're going to try to get their run game going. But there's also part of me that that looks at the coaches. Kyle Whittingham, David Shaw. A lot of respect between these two guys. I don't think Kyle Whittingham is here to embarrass David Shaw. He knows it's bad enough at Stanford. So I, 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 that's another reason why I like Stanford in 24, because I wouldn't be surprised to see Utah play some backups. You know, Utah's not playing for the playoff. I, I think Utah is playing for the Pac-12 championship at this point, and they're gaming the system. But keep an eye on that. Arizona's at UCLA, Saturday, 730. This game's on Fox. I love Arizona's offense. I love them on offense. I hate them on defense. But uh, UCLA is playing for something. They were disrespected in the playoff rankings on Tuesday night. I think the Bruins show up motivated. UCLA is a 19-and-a-half-point favorite at home. I think that they are going to cover that. I think it's 48-24, Chip Kelly and UCLA rolling. Yeah, I mean, Arizona, they're on the right track with Jetfish, and they've had a nice season. But this this caps off a five-game stretch of playing Oregon, Washington, USC, Utah, and now you're at UCLA. Uh, I think they're going to run out of gas. I think UCLA puts it on and it covers the number. Next week is USC, UCLA. And so uh, I, it's kind of the same thing you're talking about with Utah, wanting just to get in, get out, get it done ahead of the Autzen game. Maybe some of that for UCLA as well, but I still think they cover 45-24. There it is. There are our picks for the week. You want to read mine, you can get them at johnconzano.com. We'll have Softy of KJR coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Right at 4 o'clock, you're going to want to be here for Softy. 
to hear what he had, whatever he, whatever nonsense he's spewing about Washington. We'll hear it here at four o'clock. Uh, Jaden Grant will be here at three thirty. Up next, we're going to talk about upset. Is there upset fever anywhere this week in the conference? If so, where? We're all going to pick a game that where we could take an underdog to win outright. Right? The home favorites are thirty-seven and one this season in the Pac-12. Could it go to? Could it? Could we get a second upset win? This season, if so, where would it happen? Also, we'll talk about Thursday night football. Is it worth a damn this Thursday night? That's a question we got to ask. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Thursday night football, is it worth a damn? By the way, yesterday on the show, Judah, you missed it. Steven's uh, freshman basketball coach called into the program, and and uh, it was, I thought it was really charming, actually. You know, I thought it was a really charming moment where you know, Steven's coach called into the show, and he basically told us that Steven was worth a damn in, <laughs> in basketball and football. Yeah, I didn't play oh. football. He wanted me to play football. Yeah, he wanted him to play football. You could have You could have been a tight end. You could have been somebody. I mean, I was recruited to play football all four years in high school to be a safety, like you said. Why? Well, why not? Why didn't you do it? Well, my parents didn't want me to. They were afraid. They valued your brain. They did. Hmm. My dad said it was a hundred percent injury sport, so he wouldn't let me play. Well, he cared about you. He did. I don't. I'm not going to fault any parent for saying that. I think other parents, you know, my dad made me wait till high school to play. He wouldn't let me play youth football. He said, you know, he'd played professional baseball, and in his clubhouse, he said a lot of the guys who had knee issues and problems were all had played youth football. Lo and behold, I ended up with knee issues, but that's another story. Hashtag reflex, though. There you go. Um, Falcons at the Panthers. Let's go. Thursday night football. Is this worth a damn? The Falcons, I have found to be a frustrating watch this season. Marcus Mariota, I'm pulling for the guy. But they're hard to watch sometimes on offense. Last week they were really hard to watch. Is they should have beat the Chargers. I don't know if you guys watched that game. Did you guys watch the Chargers Falcons game? Yep. Saw okay. The end of that game. <laughs> like what? Like here are the Chargers driving for the winning score. They run the football. Running back fumbles. Lineman for the Falcons picks it up, runs it back out to about the forty. He fumbles it. Chargers jump on it. Chargers drive down and win the game. Just circus music, you know, to that. <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, it, it was a little frustrating. I mean, the Chargers offense frustrates me. Uh, I know they didn't have Keenan Allen or Mike Williams, but still, like, that whole scheme is holding Herbie back. And uh, But it's always fun to see Herbie and Mariota play, you know. Yeah. Is, was it fun for you to watch? Besides, uh, you know, the aesthetic uh, of it? There were, uh, it? You know, the Falcons had entered the game with the fewest number of drops by any receiving core. They dropped about four passes in the game. And, and, and look, Marcus Mariota is struggling a little bit like he's barely hanging on you can feel it with the falcons like you know the fact that they were sitting there at four and four entering last week's game was a miracle and but this is a winnable game here against the panthers panthers are bad the panthers you know they're cleaning house the the falcons should win this game but is it worth the listen is it worth the watch i think it is i think i'll tune in because of mariota but what do you guys think do you have DraftKings, john I mean, that's, that's the reason why Steven is like, yeah, of course, this is interesting, yeah. man. Steven, what's your angle? Yeah. What am I going to do? Not bet yeah. on the game? Exactly. <laughs> it's football on TV and the radio. Yeah. Of course, you're going to you're going to bet on it. No yeah. doubt. What's the spread? Is it four? Where is it? Uh, 
Falcons, two and a half. Two and a half? Yeah. Mm. Wow. Take Carolina, probably. Yeah. That probably didn't help last week. <laughs> By the way, I had the Falcons last week on the money line. Oh, that's why you're so upset. And I it did, was, I, did I got it at, so I got it at seven to one. Oh. Because they were down when I when I saw it on live betting. Oh, you live bet! Oh but man, they were. It was sep, It was plus seven hundred, wow. and I was like, "Eh, why not?" Great bet, great <laughs> bet. And the D lineman fumbles. Uh, now you're pulling the hair that you don't even have. Yeah. out of your skull. Oh, but I was wrong. like, "That's why I'm not a professional gambler." Okay. Yeah. Oh, dude, I don't have to tell you how many Green Bay things I've tied into my DraftKings that have just flopped. Yeah, such a frustrating team this year. Oh, it's rough. What are you doing with this game, Stephen? What's your angle? Uh, I like the Falcons. I like the Falcons tonight. Uh, I was on minus the, three. Yeah, I'll take the Falcons in this one. I think the Panthers. I was on them a little bit last week, and they got absolutely destroyed. Uh, they might just suck really bad. So uh, I'll take the Falcons. They are leading. They are winning the NFC South. They're okay. in the lead. They need to win. So uh, yeah, give me the Falcons. Minus just, I'm going to piggyback with you. I'll go Falcons minus three. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Two weeks in a row, my fate rests with the Falcons. <laughs> <laughs> the total not a forty-one and a half total, man. Ooh, <sighs> just gonna slug it out. Supposed to be uh, some high winds there. I read fifteen I, to twenty-five mile per hour winds. Okay, so I was logged on to Amazon Prime Video or Amazon Video. I don't know what you call it when you go to watch Amazon on TV, but whatever it's called, Prime Video. Um, I was logged on. When you log on to watch a show right now, the pre-roll that they give you on a lot of the shows is this pre-roll for the Falcons and Panthers. And Mar- it's about Mariota, really, because there's nothing to sell when it comes to the Panthers. They're 2-7. and seven. They've kind of rolled over. They are at home. They what? played two weeks ago and took them to overtime on that crazy <laughs> Hail Mary. But, yeah, then they got crushed. What's your thoughts about Al Michaels? It seems like he's really been uh, checking out and ma- you know, making fun of the matchups almost when he's announcing. I, I think I like the authenticity. If it's a bad game, I'm okay with him saying it. But there's a fine line there because, you know, we're all watching at home. I want the broadcaster to be mildly enthusiastic about the idea that he's being paid to do this game. <laughs> you know? Because, you know, again, we always talk about the two teams that are playing, the Falcons and the Panthers. There's two other teams, too. There's the officiating team and there's the broadcast team. So I need the officiating team to be good tonight, and they generally are in the NFL. And I need the broadcast team to at least bring some enthusiasm, but I, I don't mind if Al Michaels is like, if the game ends up 6-3, to three, let's make it 7-3 to three maybe, if it's the Falcons, because um, that's a three-point spread. Um, <laughs> yeah. let's, let's, so, let's at least win our bets, John. Let's just say it's a 7-3 to three final in the Falcons' win. I need, I'm okay with Al Michaels being like, hey, this is not, the, you know, a little bit of gallows humor is okay. I, it's funny because, like, the listen to Herb Street on the NFL broadcast compared to the college football broadcast, he's so much more enthusiastic on the college football one. Yes. And, yes. like, he, like I love Herb Street, but he's just a weird fit in the NFL because I want to hear him with all that energy. But these games, and the NFL in general, I feel like they don't really tend to have, like, the energy that you would for a college football atmosphere. Yeah, I like it. I think you're right. Just right. want a Portland State reference out of Herbie tonight. Yeah. There you go. Cool. One PSU reference, and we'll see if he leaves him alone <laughs> or not. All right, uh, coming up, Jaden Grant, Oregon State team captain. Uh, they'll play Cal this weekend. I'm going to ask him about Research Stadium and some other stuff. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I was making fun of Jack Coletto yesterday because he did the interview with us on Tuesday. I don't know if you caught it. Jack Coletto's Italian. 
okay? Makes his grandmother's sauce. Like, I'm Italian. I know my grandmother makes a, spa, a sauce, too. But he, I asked him for a uh, restaurant recommendation in Corvallis, and he gave us Pastini, okay? It's a chain. He acted like he was surprised to know that it was a chain. You know, like he knew the chef there or something. Now, Jaden Grant joins us every Thursday, courtesy of your local Jamba Juice. I got to ask Jaden Grant what his go-to is if you're, uh, rec re you know, recommending a restaurant. Where, where do you tell people to go? <laughs> in Corvallis. Man. Could be a hole in the wall. Could be a sandwich shop. What do you like? Okay. I uh, First, I just want to say this is probably the toughest question that you ever asked me. <laughs> no, I know. I know. This, is, this is a struggle. I know. But, um, but I mean, like you see, you, you ain't got much outside to change. You know, you I got know. the Chipotle, Cadoba, <laughs> yeah. Subway on Monroe, <laughs> uh, Jersey Mike's is on Monroe. Uh, uh, Bowen Vine. Bowen Vine Burgers is pretty solid. Like, how about, how about all of the, uh, the American Dream Pizza Place? See, I really like American Dream. I like that type of crust and that, that type of pizza, but a bunch yeah. of my teammates don't like it. Hmm. All right. I asked Coletto. I expected he was going to give me, like, some great little Italian place I never heard of, and he says, oh, there's this place called Pastini. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what? Come on. Yeah, I mean, all it, it feels like a, one of those special places out here because, yeah. you know, I know. Seems not that great. Okay. Well, we got to open a restaurant. That's our next thing. Uh, Jaden. Yeah. You're looking at Cal on film, man. You have Cal this week. What do you see uh, from the Bears? Uh, definitely, uh, uh, definitely not the, the Cal that I'm I'm used to playing as far as the uh, scheme. They're definitely throwing the ball a lot, um, getting open sets, and they have some dynamic guys on the outside and in the slot as well. Um, and then when you look at their running game, um, you know, being so open, sometimes those runs are busting free. They got a really good freshman back, uh, Ott who's, um, you know, really impressed me on tape. So just like like every single other week, you know, this is the Pac-12, um, and you're going to get a challenge, and you're going to play playmakers every single week. Uh, so another one of those games, and we're, we're looking forward to it. I thought you guys as a secondary played really well last week against Washington. There was – you guys, uh, you know, you were in coverage often. It looked like the scheme you were playing is you were dropping a whole bunch of guys, so there wasn't a lot of pressure on Michael Penix, but – as a secondary, I felt like you guys played really well. How did you feel as you looked at the film? Well, obviously we were just disappointed. Um, you know, when you lose a game, nothing good that you do, do really, really matters, um, especially in the moment, like after a game. Um, so I think that, you know, the Washington game, there was definitely some back-and-forth plays. Um, I think that it was, you know, a case of, you know, good competitors going against one another. You know, they had good receivers. We had good DBs. Um, but ultimately, if you want to be elite, you know, which we believe we are and, and, and should be every single week, then uh, you can't hurt yourself. And uh, we, we've done a little bit too much of that this year, mm. which would really, you know, change from, you know, having these great games to, to elite games. Um, so, yeah, that, that's our biggest thing is, is um, you know, wanting to walk away from games and the only damages that we took are, are the ones that they earned, not, uh, not anything self-inflicted. You, you'll get a limited number of times to play at Reeser Stadium. You got this week, you go on the road next week, you'll have a home finale in, against Oregon on the 26th, but you got two more shots at Reeser Stadium. What does that mean to you as a guy who's been there for that long to, to play two more times in front of that home crowd? Man, I, I haven't even thought about it like that. I kind of did that whole thing in my head last year where it was like, you know, riding the bus to the senior night. It was emotional and whatnot. So uh, for me, uh, 
I'm sure it'll all hit me, you know, once we once we get those uh, get get into those moments. I'm like, dang, you know, last one in Reeser, or you know, even second to last one in Reeser. But uh, you know, right now I'm I'm just locked in into you know the X's and O's and and uh, figuring out what what we have to do to you know come out victorious. Have you when you guys look at film, you probably have seen that they will play their freshmen a little bit. They played him at the end of the Oregon game. He gives them a little different look. How are those two guys different? When you look at Plummer versus maybe the freshmen that they play occasionally, uh, from from the few from the few snaps that I have seen him on, on film, um, you know he, he seems solid. He seems seems mobile. He he can make all the throws. But from Plum, as far as Plummer, I, I actually think he's 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 real good from from watching his film. Uh, we played him last year at, at Purdue as well. I mean, mm, right. he made some good throws that game but um even even just on film like the way that he plays he, he looks very confident uh back there it looks like he knows exactly where he wants to to go with the ball um kind of moves like a, like a veteran back there uh it's just what you expect to see and then you know he also has good anticipation of of routes and you know throwing the ball before the receiver even breaks too which which is also always tough uh, to defend you're going to get some good weather it's not going to be raining it's not going to be windy like it was uh last uh friday when you played but you know, it looks like it'll be clear and cool and uh, a good night for football. You don't like it like that, or do you like it? You know, a little, uh, a little uh, adverse, or does it even matter to you? Uh, it doesn't matter until you're like on the sideline and you're a little bit cold. And you're like, All right, <laughs> <laughs> it could be a little bit warmer out, but uh, no, nah, like we thought last week, we thought it was it was going to be extremely cold. Uh, I'm sure it was for the people that weren't you know on the field. Yeah, but um, it's really not that bad. Um, you know, any condition when you're moving around like that, you always stay warm. It's just like when you get to the bench, like ah, dang. But you know, we have those those nice, cool uh, little heat machines, so yeah, it's all good. You know, it's uh, it, it, during the pregame, I went down on the field last week in, at, at Seattle, and your punter was punting, and he was punting from the hash. He was on the left hash. And he punted, and the ball blew into the stands. I've never seen the ball blow like 30 yards over the bench into the stands like that. Um, when you were on the field, did it feel windy in those conditions, or does that all get tuned out because the game starts? Well, honestly, I think that I think we got lucky because I think that the wind really like stopped right kind of right before the game because when we first went out there to go warm up. Like, it was almost blowing guys over. It was crazy. I never really felt <laughs> some wind like that. Like, you could jump up, jump straight up and down, and you're, you're going to land a few yards back or forwards or whatever direction it was blowing. So it was definitely crazy. I, I was looking forward to it. Like, oh, this is going to be a wild one, you know, trying to throw the ball. But wind kind of died down before the game, which was good. Um, but, yeah, yeah, the wind was real for sure during warm-ups. Jaden Grant is with us, joins us every Thursday, courtesy of uh, your local Jamba Juice. Uh, this season, um, you know, you have an opportunity to do something you didn't do last year. I mean, you can win more games. You can go to a better bowl game. You could even get to 10 wins. You're sitting at 6-3. and three, You have three regular season games. You have a bowl game. You have a chance to get to 10. Did you guys set some goals? Have you, As a team, have you talked about, hey, what's out there still for you guys or how much week-to-week are you or, you know, mindset-wise, help us, you know, with what you guys are thinking? Yeah. Well, so I think that's the good thing about, you know, being on the same page as far as being process-oriented because, you know, whether you win or whether you lose, the process stays the same. You know, you don't focus on the the end result, which is a win or loss, but you focus on all the little things it takes to do to get the result that you want. 
And so for us, you know, regardless of what's in front of us, regardless of what bowl game we're projected to, whatever it may be, you know, we're going to stay process oriented. And that's, you know, snap in, day out, day out. I mean, day in, day out basis, snap in, snap out basis, you know, making the most out of every single opportunity you get on and off the field, you know, to better yourself and ultimately help you achieve your goals. So no no type of uh, rekindling and saying, you know, hey, guys, this is our goal now or, or this is that. You know, we're just sticking to the process and really just man-to-man trying to get the most out of each other. You uh, you know, I, I know that, you know, like a Thursday night, a Friday night, it starts to gear down. I think the coaching staff kind of takes a light Thursday night. As a, as a player, you probably want, you know, you think football a lot of the week, but do you take a mental break on a Thursday night or, you know, because – that's the night where the coaches go, hey, they go with their families or they go to a movie. What is Jaden Grant doing on, like, a Thursday night? Thursday nights are, yeah, the best for sure because you got practice early and then usually don't have class or whatever. And then you have no you know, uh, uh, PM meeting. So, you know, usually guys take, take this opportunity, you know, nap or whatever. Uh, for me, on Thursdays, like that's my that's my day to play the game. <laughs> like I'm get on the game, play the game when after I'm done watching film or whatever. And then every Thursday night, me and uh, my roommate Alex Austin and whoever else joins us, we watch uh, we always watch a, a game of whoever we're facing. Really? Uh, Thursday nights because we don't mean yeah. So you, so you look like you won't watch Thursday night football. You'll you'll watch one of Cal's games from earlier in the season. No, we'll watch Thursday night football, and then yeah. after Thursday night football, we'll check on cows. Cows can't one of them. Interesting. I like that. All right, who do you like tonight? Falcons. Uh, Falcons. Panthers. Oof. I'm gonna go with uh, who, who's the, is, is Mariota still the? Uh, yep. Mariota. Yep. Yep. Mariota quarterback. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. I'll go. I'll go with the Falcons. I think you're right. Falcons. All right. Hey, I'll see you at the stadium. I will be there. Uh, good luck to you guys. Keep doing what you're doing, and I appreciate you joining us. Uh, thank you very much, as always, for having me. There he is, Jaden Grant, Oregon State team captain. He gets better and better every week. I still think we need to open a restaurant. I think we. I think. I think that this is what has come of this is that uh, we need uh, a non-chain restaurant in Corvallis uh, so that we can say this is our go-to. All right. That's the mission. Coming up, the big splash, and then at 4 o'clock, you'll want to be here. Softy from KJR in Seattle. I don't know what he's going to say, but he will lose his marbles over this Washington-Oregon game. Leave it right here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. I got a lot of support on yesterday's show. But I did not ask Judah Newby what he thought of my predicament yesterday and whether or not it made me a bad person. Judah, you ready? Was it the where were you? The dentist office? Where yeah, yeah. You? I wanna give you I wanna yeah. set the scene though, because you you might have some listeners who didn't tune in either, but you the basic and don't be afraid to say like, hey, you were out of line, because Anna pretty much did when she came on the show and she said, Hey, you were out of line. But um I went into the dentist office. It was a brand new dentist, we switched dentists, and um uh, I understand there's a certain level of building patient rapport and all that stuff that happens, and you got to fill out new paperwork, insurance, whatever. And uh, it's fine, but I don't like the small talk. I don't like a lot of chit-chat. <laughs> and, and, uh, and again, like, look, I'm not the dental assistant. Maybe the dental assistant, that's how they pass the day, a lot of chit-chat. But the dental assistant started asking me questions, and 
I answered a couple of them. They were just kind of small talk questions, you know, where do you live? How long have you lived here? Are you married? Do you have kids? You know, what size shoe do you wear? All this, you know, it's just all this stuff. Okay, and so I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I uh, pretty much turned to her at one point, and I just said, "Hey, not trying to be rude, but I'm not really comfortable having a bunch of personal questions." You know, can we uh, let's move the X-rays along here, kind of thing? And then I, st I apologized. I said, "Hey, I'm not trying. It's nothing that you did. I just, you know, I'm trying to lay low here." And uh, it was kind of like when you're in the Uber and you don't feel like talking to the Uber driver, or maybe you're getting a massage. You don't want to have a deep conversation with the masseuse, or I don't know if if you're in the barber chair. Does this happen? The barber talk to you. You make small talk the whole time. But sometimes you just want to kind of sit quietly. And I was okay sitting quietly as I'm getting x-rays. I got stuff in my mouth. Like, let's not, I don't. So Anna had an appointment later in the day, same dental office, and she had an extended conversation with the assistant who asked her, hey, are you okay with answering questions? Your husband said he wasn't comfortable <laughs> with it. So Anna was like, one Canzano has to be nice. The other one can be a jerk. And I was like, I wasn't a jerk. I was... I was apologetic. I told her, I'm sorry, I just don't feel like having this small talk conversation right now. I'm just, I don't have that filter. Am I a bad person? Go ahead and tell me. That's not a, you're not a great person. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, was it because you were in a bad mood, or do you think no. that you would always behave that way? I don't think I would always behave that way, but part of it for me is the show starts at 3, and I kind of like to lay low. I don't want to have a bunch of conversations all day long before. I need. I kind of need my focus and energy when the mic opens at 3. And, and I felt like, additionally, I know what she was trying to do. She's trying to build rapport with the patient. But I felt like there's already stuff in my mouth, like she's taking x-rays. And I didn't. And she really wasn't asking me anything real. It was just kind of passing the time questions, like, yeah. where are you from? Where did you grow up? <laughs> and I was being intentionally vague. I, I was like, you know, nearby. How long have you lived here? A while. <laughs> you know? No, that's just, that's just kind of being a jerk. No, I don't think I was. But, yeah, <laughs> but I, I got a lot of support. I got a lot of support from listeners. I had people write me. I had a guy who was a correctional officer oh. who wrote me later and said, Part of his job interview, they they started peppering him with questions because they because the inmates are going to uh, give you the questions when you're uh, when you're uh, you know working that job. Anybody else out there empathize with the small talk that goes on in the course of the day that is just doesn't mean anything? Like, I'm not saying we should all sit silent, but are there, are there some moments where we can sit silent? I, I so most of me agrees with you. It's like ah, I. If you're working with stuff in my mouth, how do you expect me to respond to you? You know, I yeah. agree with that. And there are, you know, I love the dentist that I go to uh, and, and the hygienist as well. But they are, yeah, they're trying to build a rapport. But I was like, you guys should do the talking. I'm the one sitting here with stuff in my mouth. But it's all about the delivery, right, and the tone, you know. Like, there, you can you can still be good-hearted about it and be short on your answers, um, but again, you were probably trying to get a message across saying, don't talk to me right now. I'm yeah. not that interested. And, uh, you know, lovely lady probably, uh, wasn't picking up on that. 
I don't know. I got a lot of support after the show, but I I'm sure like there were some people. Your alternate strategy for next time that you were talking about yeah. yesterday, you know, just making up a new identity and steering hard into that, that would be fun. Yeah, I like to say, you know what? I uh I work for the government. I am uh I'm undercover right now. Uh or I'm a lumberjack. That would be a good one. What would be the wildest job that you could say you do that would that, you know, but then but you know, the whole marine biologist thing and you know that George Costanza did on Seinfeld, I don't know. Well, just say you're know part of works. the mob. Just say you're part of the mob. We can Zano. I, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I don't. This I think it's too. Company, uh, it's too weird. Yeah. I, uh, I run a club a called Bada Beans. Okay, that's what that's what I do. I run um, pastinis and yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I just think it's uh, you know, and Anna like Anna's so nice. She's the person that goes in and makes all that small talk and does that stuff. I just, I'm not built for it. I don't know. Is this a new dentist? Yeah. Okay. That's part, of, that's part of it, too. You go into anywhere new for the first time, I feel yeah. like this would be the case. You know, you need somebody that you already have a rapport and an understanding with. They know who you are. They know your vibe and all that. But, but Stephen, you drove Uber. Give us an idea. Like, now on Uber, you can check a box that says, I don't really want to have a conversation. Right? Can't you? Um, I mean, I don't know. I haven't done it for years, but that sounds right. <laughs> it sounds good. Like, but how did you get the get the hint if somebody didn't want to have a conversation? Was I, that a hard I, thing I, to do? Or no, like I usually would let them start, right? Like I'd be like, "Hey, how are you doing?" They'd be like, good, and you can even tell from then, like if they want to talk to you just by how they respond to you. You know, how are you doing today? Like, are you having a good day? Because sometimes people just straight up ignore you. And I was like, okay, well they don't want to talk to me. That's fine. But usually I would try to let them start the conversation, and if I did, then I just read off of them how much they wanted to talk. Yeah. Like, like yep. it shouldn't be hard. Like, when you say, where are you from, around here, like, that should have been like, hey, you know what? I'm from this, nearby. Yeah, nearby. This, I nearby, said nearby. Yeah. This I've guy, lived here a while. This guy doesn't want to talk to me. Like, <laughs> so funny. She was, it, and I told her, though, because the problem is she's asking a question, there's stuff in my mouth, and then I'm waiting, and then she's asking another question, and then I give the answer, and then we wait. And so this whole thing was going on. I had a lot of time to think between the questions. And I was thinking, why are we doing this? Why am I not asking her? I'm not interrogating her. I'm not asking her where she lives. And you're I'm a not journalist. Asking, you know, I'm, I'm not because I don't, like, A, I think there's part of that that is a little invasive. Like, what does that have to do with your dental care? You know, like, where does it matter? And then the second part is, um, <laughs> I know that's jerky. But the second part is, like, I'm not doing that back to you because I would feel weird as a guy peppering a woman who's in that work setting with a bunch of questions about where she lives and if she's married and if she has kids. That's totally true. You can't you can't do it the other way because that's creepy. No. It would be creepy. Well, hey, her, where do you live? Friendly. Yeah, where that's, do you live? What's your family How long situation? have you lived there? Yeah. Do you have kids? Are you married? You know, like and I, and I'm and I'm being serious here like back in the day when I first started the show, I had a couple of weirdos that that you know, kind of latched onto the show. There was one guy in particular who would call and he would leave. He was leaving like threatening messages about my oldest daughter. I played it on air. I reported it to the police. And the guy only stopped doing it because somebody recognized his voice. When I played his voicemail message on air, it was creepy. 
Like, do you guys remember that? Are you, were you guys around for any of that? That yeah. voicemail creeper guy? I I remember that being something on the show. I don't know if I was involved on the show at that point, but I remember yeah. that being part of it. And that was yeah, that was the yeah. kind of the dark side of it for sure. I have a uh, a voicemail message that I could play on air, but it's uh, I don't think I don't think it would I think it would freak some people out. Yeah. But the guy was basically saying, "What does your daughter look like? Where does she go to school?" And so I get a little, like, even though I talk about my kids on the show and whatnot, I get a little nervous about, like, giving out any kind of information to anybody if I don't know them. And so I told her, I said, look, you know, I'm just not real comfortable having this conversation. You know, <laughs> let's talk about the dental stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. Let's keep it to work, okay? Just, just ask my wife. She'll, she'll tell you. And then you Anna went in there and just went, la, 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 la. this is where we live. This is, where are you from? Oh, I'm from here. You know, where did you grow up? You know, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Softy from KJR in Seattle is next. You're going to want to be here for Softy. I promise you that. Uh, he will fill the airwaves. <laughs> From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Oregon and Washington will play a big football game at Autzen Stadium on Saturday. Uh, my picks for the game, you can find them at johnconzano.com. I made all my picks today. I'm 17 and 3 in my last 20 Pac 12 games, knocking on wood. Literally, you can hear it right there as I knock on wood. Um, I want to uh, I want to bring on a guest that we bring on every year for this for this week. Softy from KJR in Seattle is joining us now, and there is no bigger husky honk in the land. Softy, how are you, man? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, good to hear from you, Mr. Canzano. And don't forget, if Canzano can do it, anybody can. If if, if John Canzano with his limited skills, uh, limited social skills, if he can accomplish everything he's accomplished in life. If Canzano can do it, then anybody can. That's my motto, baby. I love it. I, I Anytime I need you a boost. steal that, by the way. That's a hell of a motto for you. <laughs> anytime I need a boost, I, I have you on the show to do this. Hey, it's Washington, uh, Oregon week. We talked We talked to Rick, Rich Brooks earlier in the week, and you know he, he gave us some Don James stories. What do you think this rivalry is about? Why is this a rivalry? Well, I think it's a rivalry because Oregon keeps talking about how much they like to kick Washington's ass. I mean, I'm watching Penny Sewell come out of the tunnel with the Lions the other day doing the dubs down thing. I've got multiple people, multiple people, John, creating Twitter accounts just to bust my balls on social media about the game on Saturday with the Oregon Ducks. And then on the other hand, you sit there and you talk about how oh, it's not even a rivalry. It's not a big deal anymore. Bullshit. It's not a big deal. It's a huge freaking deal to you people, and you know it. I've told you a million freaking times, John. The final four appearances, the BCS championship appearance, the Heisman Trophy, the Rose Bowl, blah, 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 blah. The best thing to ever happen to Oregon fans in the past 25 years is kicking Washington's butt, and they keep reminding of us, uh, uh, us of that every single freaking year this game goes on. So all this talk about how, hey, we've moved on. You're the little brother. You're not even a rival. Oh, really? Then why is it such a big damn deal every single year when you play Washington? Get over it. The highlights and lowlights of this series in your mind, uh, let's start with highlights. 
in your lifetime, games you've seen that just stand out and you're like, that one, that one was special for Washington? Well, the two games uh, where Washington hammered them in back-to-back years, I think it was, what, 0-2-0-3 or 0-3-0-4. That included the Northwest Championship thing, dancing on the O, dancing on the midfield logo, and Braxton Clement brought out the Northwest Championship T-shirt, and that pissed a lot of people off. That was uh, New Heisel's year, obviously. Uh, obviously, 2016, 70-21 going down there and just thrashing Oregon, and Mark Helfrich having to apologize for the score. You know, here's the thing. I, I think there's more memorable wins by Oregon over UW than there are Washington. And the reason why I say that is because for me, growing up as a kid, beating Oregon really wasn't that big a deal. I mean, this did not become a big for Washington to beat Oregon until Oregon got good uh, in the mid-90s and, uh, you know, early 2000s, and maybe even starting with that Kajana Carter Rose Bowl team, uh, maybe even, uh, you know, earlier than that. So, you know, growing up as a kid, you know, I, I think about wins over USC. I think about wins over, you know, schools like UCLA and Michigan and the Rose Bowl. I don't think about wins over Oregon because nobody even gave a damn about the Oregon Ducks when I was a kid. So most of the memorable wins over Oregon for me uh, by Washington uh, came when I was like in my mid-20s and 30s and 40s, and those are all the games I'm talking about. You know, going down there and hanging 70 on those bastards in 2016 was pretty sweet, you know, uh, the way that just led to a complete regime change down there uh, in Eugene. And then, you know, Nate Robinson, I remember Nate Robinson in that game down there in the Northwest Championship uh, when Braxton had that T-shirt that I was talking about. Nate Robinson had his hands on an interception in the end zone. He would have gone 105 yards and taken that thing back for a pick six, pretty freaking drafted, and then decided to go play basketball and had a pretty good career in the NBA instead. Softy, last year, Mario Cristobal in the locker room after the game, he's like, that, those guys are everything that's wrong with, with football. And then, of course, Jimmy Lake, it kind of spiraled from yeah. there for him. Make sense of all that. What happened to Washington last year about this time? Well, first of all, I, I don't know what Mario's talking about. You know, uh, maybe he's just trying to get his guys all fired up, and if that was the case, then I certainly understand that. You know, I'm all for making stuff up if I'm a head coach just to get my players to respond. So if Mario Cristobal has to dig deep into his bag of BS and pull something out just to get his guys fired up, then I'm totally cool with that. But this is a guy who, you know, recruited kids to go to Oregon, sat in the family room of mothers and dads, and then, took off for the best deal he could find at Miami. So I don't know what the hell Mario's talking about, number one. And number two, I'm actually kind of glad to see the guy struggling in Miami because I think Mario Cristobal is pretty classless. That's number one. Number two, uh, look, Jimmy Lake was in over his head. There's no question about it. He was abs in over his head. He thought he didn't need help from anybody. He thought he could go out and do this whole thing himself and hire an offensive coordinator that nobody had ever heard of, bring a dude in here that had no experience calling plays, at least not successfully, uh, consistently in college football. guy was fired by Penn State, was basically putting guys to bed with the Jaguars and the NFL, and now he's going to be your freaking offensive coordinator for a head coach who's a deep-minded guy. John, when you have a defensive-minded head coach, you know this. The offensive coordinator is the second most important person on the staff. He's the head coach of the offense, and Jimmy Lake gave that job to a guy that nobody had ever freaking heard of because nobody else wanted to work with the guy. So he got cocky, he got arrogant, and it cost him for sure. The the program now, you've got Kalen DeBoer, who I think is a great hire by Jen Cohn, and you've got Dan Lanning, who looks pretty good at Oregon. But neither one of these guys is a trash talker. This isn't like Don right. James. This isn't like Mario Cristobal or even Chip Kelly. 
Like, you know, right. we're, it, it's up to you and I, I think, to do the trash talking now. No, for sure. And look, I mean, I, I hate it. You know, I think I think the more coach on coach crime we have in college football, uh, the better. You know, I don't want to see what happened in the tunnel against Michigan State and Michigan a couple weeks ago. But, you know, Jim Harbaugh and Mel Tucker going after each other. I, I love that stuff. And by the way, speaking of Don James and the trash talk, most of the trash talk that came out of Don James' mouth came on the golf course during coaches' tours. That's where a lot of that stuff came from. It wasn't like Don James is seeking out sports writers to talk smack about Wazoo or USC or Oregon or anybody else in the Pac-10. So most of that came when he was mingling with donors and fans on the golf course during the old Husky Coaches Tour from back in the day. But, yeah, I mean, I, I love it. I think the more smack talk between the fans, the better. Uh, the more smack talk between players. There used to be a point in time where UW would not even allow their players to talk to the media during UW Oregon week. And meantime, I'm sitting here talking to Jack Westover. He's talking about how when he was a kid growing up, his parents would always tell him if Oregon was the only school that you could get into, his parents would not even pay for it. Michael Penix is from Tampa, Florida. I asked him what he knew about the UW Oregon rivalry growing up. He said nothing except for that's a team that we don't like very much. So I love it. I think it's great. We got to stop acting like the world's going to fall apart. Somebody opens up their mouth and says something derogatory. All it does is just add to the flavor, and it adds to the hype, and it adds to the intensity of a game on Saturday. That let's face it, this conference needs. Yeah. The, what can the conference do? Wilner and I have been talking about this. Of like the, this rivalry with UCLA and USC potentially leaving the conference. This rivalry yeah. becomes more important. What can the Pac-12 do to make Oregon Washington bigger than it is? Well, I think, number one, you give each team a bye every year before they play, period, end of story. I don't think they would ever do that because that's not how the Pac-12 operates. But I'd give them both a bye, and I'd put them on prime time. I mean, look, when the schedule comes out, you know, every December or January for the next year, most of the games are TBA. How about you take the freaking Oregon-Washington game and you just say every single year the game is at 5 o'clock on ESPN or ABC or whatever, and you build that into the contract. I think George Klyovkov, has got to find a way to get some freaking control, John, back from the TV networks. It's ridiculous. It's insane that six days before the UW-Oregon game, fans of both teams don't even know what the hell the damn game time is. I mean, that's pathetic. For a game like this that includes fan bases like this and teams like this, there should be hype. There should be people booking hotel rooms and flights, and everybody should know months before the game what time that game's going to be. So I think that's one thing to go about it. You know, and number two, how about you do this? How about you do a freaking radio row, man? Set up a radio row in Eugene or Seattle every single year on the Friday before the game. Fly people in. Get sponsors. Get ex-ducks. Get dogs. Put them on the air. You know, fire the thing up. Fire the hype machine up like it's the damn Super Bowl and bring in radio stations from all over the West Coast and the Pacific Northwest to talk about this game. Wilner was on our show as he is every Tuesday. He thinks that Arizona, Arizona State, is the nastiest rivalry in the Pac-12. I think he's out of his mind. I think it's UW and Oregon by far. I do. I agree with you. But I don't think Washington's going to do much for this rivalry this season. I got Oregon winning big. I think they win by 20, yeah. 21. What do you expect? Well, you My, had Oregon State winning last week, too. Eh, How'd that work out? Eh, I, got, well, I had it with the four and a half points. All right? Eh, yeah, but, how'd that work out? Yeah. Listen, here's the thing. If you're telling me that i got to make a wager on this game, that's going to significantly impact me financially, or if I wake up and I'm wrong, i got to go sleep at your place for you know a week or lose my house or whatever. I'm taking the Oregon Ducks, obviously. But here's the thing about Oregon. That pass defense, as you know, John, is not very good. What's the number one thing the Huskies do? They throw the ball. I thought Oregon State secondary actually played them pretty well. 
yeah. uh, last weekend until UW kind of toughened up and found a way to move the ball through the air. So if I'm Ryan Grubb and Caleb DeBoer, I'm putting Michael Penix in shotgun, which he's in every play anyway. I'm going five wide, and I'm testing that porous Oregon secondary. And even if Oregon does make a Final Four, I don't see him hanging with anybody legitimate in the Final Four, let alone a rematch with Georgia with that pass defense as piss poor as it is. So we're going to see if the Huskies can take advantage of that on Saturday, man. Give me an idea of what, in your mind, what would have to go right for Washington to Washington, for Washington to win the game? Yeah, well, first of all, uh, like I said, I think UW's going to have to move the ball through the air with with great efficiency, by the way. And I'm not even talking about just hitting post routes and go routes and bombs the entire day. I'm talking about nickel and diming Oregon's defensive secondary to death with six- or seven-minute drives that keep Bo Nix on the sideline. Number two, I also think you got to force some turnovers inside their own end, all right? Give the offense a break, and that's a – a bit of a problem right now because UW, well, technically they had a turnover on the lateral in the final play of the Oregon State game. But outside of that, they have not forced a turnover since the fourth quarter of the Arizona State game 12 quarters ago. So their defense has got to start taking away the football. And, John, i got to be honest with you, I'm not saying UW's going to win this game. I'm not saying that Washington's going to shut down Oregon's offense. But I think their defense is playing the best football right now that they've played all year long because they're the healthiest. Last week was the first time all year that they were able to start all four of their defensive backs together since week one. We're talking Powell, we're talking Perryman, we're talking Alex Cook and Asa Turner. Those guys have all been banged up at different points throughout the year. Now you're getting Olafosio back, who by far is their best linebacker. God, it sucked to not have him up until last week. He hasn't played since last October, and he finally came back and played last week. So getting 48 back, and getting that secondary healthy. Now you're seeing Braylon Trice, number eight, Jeremiah Martin, number three, uh, ZTF, are starting to take off and get some pressure on the quarterback. Bo Nix has only been sacked one time, mostly because he's got a great line and he can escape pressure. I'm curious to see what that Husky front seven does on Saturday. Dave Softy Mahler from KJR in Seattle is our guest. Hey, Dave, the, we haven't talked and had you on the show since USC-UCLA defected. Yeah. Uh, what do you make of all that? What do you make of where the conference is right now? And how much how much blame do you yeah. put on George Klyovkov? I don't put a lot of blame on George Klyovkov, but I do think it's embarrassing for the conference to have those two teams taken off because there's nothing you can do to replace them. All this talk about San Diego State, are you kidding me? I mean, USC and UCLA were staying in the Pac-12, and you were looking to expand to 16 teams you would never look at San Diego State, ever. San Diego State, UNLV, those were never teams that were being talked about for expansion, even when USC and UCLA were here, at least not seriously. Now you want them to take the place of USC or UCLA? Yeah, I don't like it, John. I'm not a big fan. Frankly, I, I'm very curious to know what those teams would bring to the table that would justify giving them even a partial slice of the Pac-11 or Pac-12 pie. I'd rather just stay at 10 teams, to be honest with you. I think it gets you back in Southern California, but you're right. San Diego, it's only it's 1.2 million households. It's not 5.7 in L.A. Uh, yeah. Softy, UCLA, USC are contenders here. It, how bad is it for the Pac-12 if one of them walks off with the trophy in Vegas? Again, I think it's embarrassing, and I said that to John about a month ago. He disagreed. I, I, I saw you kind of wrote the opposite. You're kind of more with me on that yep. on that thing. I think for two teams that are that are leaving the conference, for, for one of them to win the Pac-12 and then take off uh, and leave you with, you know, a bunch of teams that could not compete or at least take them down, 
I think is a little bit embarrassing for the Pac-12. And I think the optics right now are pretty good for this conference. they got five teams in the top 25 in the latest college football playoff poll. they got a couple of contenders for the Final Four. So right now things are okay. But I think if you're George Klyovkov, and this is certainly not my opinion because I think the exact opposite, if you're George Klyovkov, you want nothing to do with USC or UCLA in the Final Four because if they do make the Final Four, all of the chatter during the entire game is going to be about them leaving for the Big Ten. All of it. So, yeah, if you're George Klyovkov, you're going to bed hoping that doesn't happen. So is there a silver lining? If If Oregon boat races Washington Saturday, do you kind of walk off going, look, Kalen DeBoer's building a program. They're not there yet, but at least Oregon is well positioned to to be in Vegas and be in in, yeah. in the number one position. Well, you got a chance to double your wins from last year, no matter what happened. To go from four and eight to eight and four, maybe win the bowl game and go nine and four. So, look, if they get boat raced by Oregon, first of all, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to drink heavily and turn off Twitter. Uh, that's number one and number two. And then number three, I'm going to blame Jimmy Lake. I'm going to blame Jimmy Lake for not building a secondary that can compete. I'm going to blame Jimmy Lake for not building a linebacker core that can compete with one of the best offenses in the Pac-12, if not the country. We've, we've been talking about that all year long. What the hell was Jimmy Lake doing down the stretch? He wasn't recruiting corners. He wasn't recruiting linebackers. There's nobody here to take the spots of guys like Ben Burkirvin and Trenton McDuffie and Kyler Gordon who have graduated in the last couple of years. So that's been the biggest disappointment to me that Kalen DeBoer, I mean, uh, John, look at the freaking cupboard that Dan Lanning inherited versus the cupboard that Kalen DeBoer inherited. Now, Kalen DeBoer, just like Dan Lanning, went out and got a transfer quarterback, and that's making all the difference in the world. But outside a wide receiver and offensive line, there really wasn't a lot on that football team. Uh, they're still struggling to find, I think, a real bell cow at running back and not sure they'll have one the entire year. They've been splitting carries between Cam Davis and Wayne Talapapa. So I just wonder if Kalen DeBoer had taken over a better situation than what he took over uh, would this line still be 13 and a half? Probably not. Yeah, it's, I like Kalen DeBoer. Like when, when Jen Cohen hired him, I said sneaky good hire. And I mean yeah. that like I, the guy just wins everywhere he goes. Can he, can he get defensive players? Because I know quarterbacks going to want to play for him. But can they build a yeah. defense there? Well, uh, we're going to have to find out, man. I don't know about this defensive coaching staff yet. You know, I would have loved to have seen a guy like Ikaika Malloy been retained, and he went to UCLA. He's down there coaching linebackers at UCLA right now. They didn't keep anybody from last year's defensive staff. Uh, they only kept one coach, and that was Scott Huff, who was the offensive line coach, and the offensive line was horrible a year ago. And that goes to show you what Keelan DeBoer thought of the scheme, by the way. The, the, the one guy he brought back was the one guy that was coaching maybe the most disappointing position group on the entire football team. So, uh, I would have loved to have seen a guy like Ikaika retain because of his um, connections in Hawaii and on the West Coast, but they're really starting over from scratch. I mean, they got a guy that you guys know, Inoki Brecknerfield, the former Beaver defensive lineman. He's coaching the defensive line so far. I think the edge rushers have gotten better as the year goes by. I don't really think the linebackers have gotten that much better, and that's William Inge, and I don't think the safeties have gotten that much better. And that's Chuck Morrell. And the reason why I mentioned those two guys is because they're both the co-defensive coordinators for this football team. So I, I do, I am curious to see what they look like Saturday, what kind of progress they make the rest of the way. And if they don't make a lot of progress, you might want to start thinking about trying to find a superstar on that side of the ball because they have a superstar on the offensive side of the ball, and his name is Kalen DeBoer, along with Ryan Grubb. All right, so you get Washington this week, then it's Colorado at home, yeah. and then it's the Apple yeah. Cup. Compare yeah. the Apple Cup rivalry 
with this Oregon-Washington rivalry? How is it different? Totally different. Totally different. Totally different because we live with those people. I only know like three or four Oregon fans. Uh, most people I know that are Oregon fans won't even admit that they're Oregon fans when they live up here in the, in Seattle. <laughs> but we are surrounded by cougars. It's like a freaking vermin. It's like a fungus, man, around Seattle. I got three of them on the air from 10 to 3 before I go on the radio show at 3 o'clock every day. And go figure that. My boss is a gigantic Husky fan, and the guy's hiring cougars right and left to be on the radio station. It's sucking the life out of me. But, again, we wake up with those people. We mingle with those people. We work with them. My partner's married to one for crying out loud. So it's a totally different animal. Softy, you know I love you, man. Uh, I wish you luck this week. I I don't think it's going to be pretty for you, but I think you're in good hands with Kalen DeBoer. Well, we'll find out. I'm going to go have my 19th cup of coffee, so we'll talk on Saturday. Amen. There you go. Thank you. Bye. There's Softy from KJR in Seattle. Awesome stuff. You can feel how fired up he is about this Oregon-Washington rivalry. Leave it here. You got the bald face truth statewide on the BFT Radio Network. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Nick Aliotti, longtime University of Oregon defensive coordinator, is coming up bottom of the hour just a few minutes from now. He's now on the Pac-12 Networks as an analyst. Anna's popped into the studio. What, are you researching Aliotti over here? What, are you I, stalking him? Uh, no, I've looked at him up before, but I've got some questions for him. Really? Yeah. Grew up in, like, born in Walnut Creek, California. Yeah, I, know, I know that area. Went to UC Davis. Mm-hmm. There's things about him you might not know. His okay. father, Joe, worked for U.S. Steel for I decades. I didn't know that. There you go. I got questions. All right. You got questions for Nick Aliotti. I have questions for Aliotti. Uh, quick uh, download on the Softy interview. Uh, Steven, what would you think of Softy from KJR in Seattle? Yeah, he's a, he's a trip, man. He's a, he's a trip. He's, he sounds like a, uh, a crazy guy to watch a game with, that's for sure. He is. Uh, and you know what's funny? I've been near him on press row during a Washington game. He is losing it during the game. He's, what about he, when Washington's like really good? Is he obnoxious? Is he an yes. obnoxious fan? Yeah. Yes. And at the end of a game, one time I picked Oregon State to beat Washington. He stood up on press row at the end of the game. It's quiet, and he pointed at me. He was like, like he, like he really lives it and breathes it. Uh, Nick Aliotti coming up, Oregon's D coordinator. I want you here for it. Uh, he's a fantastic interview, a wealth of knowledge. We'll talk about the Washington-Oregon rivalry over the years. What does he see on the field in the Pac-12? We'll go around the conference, kind of look at some things, and Anna's got some questions for him as well. Leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. One of my favorite guests to have on this show over the years has been Nick Aliotti, Pac-12 Network analyst, former Oregon defensive coordinator, a guy who's got some good life experience and he knows a good pasta sauce when he sees it. Nick Aliotti joining us now. Anna is here as well. Coach, I'm sorry. You're going to get peppered here. And on. You know, I haven't never met. Well, I've met Anna once down at the Pac-12 uh, media days two years back. But uh, Anna comes across to, across to me on the radio as a sweetheart, so I welcome <laughs> Anna's peppering. I'm ready, Anna. 
I love it. I Good love evening. it. Hey, so let me start with you, Coach. Uh, you know, it's a Washington week. Uh, I talked to Rich Brooks earlier in the week. He had a lot of good stories. By the way, he mentioned you on the golf course. Says you clean up when you guys play for golf, play for money on the golf course. <laughs> Give me an idea of what Washington week brings to your mind. Well, Washington, it's a rivalry. Uh, no question about it. You know, the first thing that comes to my mind is the Kenny Wheaton pick, which everybody uh, remembers, and especially if you're in Oregon, who I probably remember if you're a Husky fan, too. But what comes to my mind is that early in my career, I got to Oregon in 78, okay? And uh, in 78, Washington dominated us. I mean, for years, they just dominated us and kicked us all over the, the field, and then after that pick, and and shortly after that, Oregon started to become part of the haves. Washington was the haves early in my career. We were the have-nots. And then later, we became the haves. Washington still was the haves, but I think they didn't like the fact that now we were on even par with them as far as facilities and even surpassed them and things of that nature were able to recruit against them. So that thing became, that rivalry has really become more and more just a big hatred for one another. And uh, I like the fact that that is a big deal. That game is a big deal, and this weekend should be outstanding. Was it more fun to win as a have-not, or was it more enjoyable when you had the resources and you were toe-to-toe with them, or how different is that? I think it's always more fun to win as the underdog and a have-not mm-hmm. to, to uh, build something like Coach Brooks did at Oregon and we were a part of it, and then with Coach Pilate and seeing that thing, what it is today, and I heard you earlier talk about what Lanny, you know, Larry, Lanny has inherited uh, a pretty good gig now, what Oregon is now compared. And, and I really don't think anybody really knows what it was truly like when we first got there in 78 uh, as far as facilities and offices and all those kinds of things. But I always think it's more gratifying when you do it as a have-not. I've always pulled for the underdog. Uh, maybe because being a, a smaller guy in stature and being a guy that, uh, whose parents didn't go to college and being the first one to go to college, all those things that you had to fight for and not having a whole lot of money. And, uh, and I don't say that being upset about it, but having to, to work your way uh, through college and all those kinds of things and then accomplishing it, to me, it's much more gratifying to do it, do it with less than to do it with more. So have not without a question. Kenny Wheaton, you mentioned the interception. We, we see it. We hear it all the time. Kenny Wheaton's going to score. You were part of that. Uh, what, what made that happen? Because Kenny has talked about studying film, knowing that they were in that formation, that the slot receiver would run an out. But you were there. You were part of the coaching staff, the preparation. What was that like for you? Well, I remember when they were driving down the field and they had converted some third downs earlier in that drive, and I'm going, gosh, we can't let this happen again. 
And uh, I thought for sure, we called a timeout right before that pick, and I thought for sure they were going to give the ball to Napoleon Kaufman because I would have done that. Somehow, some way, I would have got the ball in his hands. But anyway, we called a run blitz where we were zero coverage, meaning there's no free safety, although you don't need a free safety that much on the eight-yard line. Uh, and we, so we had a man coverage, a man blitz, and we were playing man-to-man across the board. And credit all goes to Kenny Wheaton for having studied that because he's told me on numerous occasions had the receiver, I think it was Jankowski is the name, it's close anyway, uh, had he broken in, he said, Coach, it would have been a touchdown. But I knew he was going out, and he jumped it, and the rest is history. Probably the biggest game in Oregon history, uh, and to get things to where they are today, is that pick by Kenny Wheaton. So all the credit goes to him uh, for pulling that off. When that's happening, Kenny Wheaton intercepts the pass, the stadium uh, erupts. Um, where were you? Are you in the coaching box? If you're in the coaching box, what was the reaction, or were you on the field? I don't know where the coordinators were at that time. At that time, young in my early in my career, I was on the sideline because I thought I needed to be around the players to look them in the eye, and I always thought that I could maybe motivate them and fire them up. So early in my career, and that at that time, I was on the sideline. But in reality, Kenny Wheaton's going to score became famous because Kenny Wheaton did score, but Kenny Wheaton should have went down to a knee and let us take a knee and run the clock out. Probably the, score, probably the story would not be as good. But uh, so Kenny Wheaton scoring makes it a great story. Were you jumping around? Are you sitting there in disbelief? Are you smiling? You know, what do you remember? I remember being happy as a guy could be and the feeling I always talk to my players or my wife about, and uh, don't misconstrue this, that winning a football game is the greatest drug in the world. The high that you get after a week's preparation and and all the work you put into that, it's like having a midterm or a final every week. And to win a game, it's not easy. And to win a game against the Huskies, being where we had been all those years and how much it, it meant and gave us a chance to go to the Rose Bowl, which we finally finished off. Uh, it was an unbelievable feeling. And when he picked that ball off, uh, there were a lot of happy people, none happier than the guy you're talking to. Uh, Coach Anna here. Uh, I'm fascinated just reading about uh, your life as the eldest of five children Growing up in the suburbs of San Francisco, your dad, Joe, worked for U.S. Steel. I think it's interesting that, you know, John was so looking forward to this interview with you. You guys have some interesting crossovers. You went to UC Davis where you earned three letters as a running back and you were MVP of your freshman team. And I didn't know that you also coached at Oregon State as a running backs coach before you then went on and were offensive coordinator at John's alma mater, Chico State. Yes. Uh, you know, I the first 11 years of my career, Anna, I was an off, uh, offensive coach. 
coached running backs and coached offensive line, believe it or not, and was the coordinator at Chico State, where John played some great outfield for the Wildcats. <laughs> uh, uh, and and and, uh, and and then I was at Oregon State when I was after leaving Oregon as a graduate assistant. I was very fortunate to get a full-time job at 26 years old in the Pac-8 or maybe just became the Pac-10 at that time at Oregon State and uh, was there for four seasons under Joe Avizzato and uh, never even imagined uh, how this thing would all play out. I went to school to be an engineering major. I was always good at math, and I was going to be an engineering major and when I finished playing ball my senior year at UC Davis, and I know I'm all over the place right now, my head football coach, Jim Soker, Hall of Fame football coach, said, Nick, I want you to coach your position, which was the running back. He said, I'll pay for your master's if you do this. And uh, so I did it, loved it, never got my master's in the rest <laughs> of the history. Well, we were all better for it. I love it. You found your path. Did did being yeah. a, did being an offensive guy does that help you later in your career when you switch to defense? Understanding what they're trying to do on offense. Absolutely, and the two because I always talk in terms of understanding leads to control. In any situation of life, if you understand what you're doing or where you want to go, and you can couple that with what your opponent or the life challenges ahead of you are, are bringing your way, you can control the situation. The more you understand what you're doing, then tie that into what other people are doing, the better you control things. So, yes, I was very fortunate to, put, to coach on the offensive side of the ball. And more importantly, having coached offensive line and then secondary, two of the, the, the toughest units uh, where you need a lot of cohesion and things going together and communication really helped me in understanding pass protection, how to attack pass protection, and then how to adjust the things from the, the secondary part of it. So uh, those two things really helped me in becoming a better football coach and in particular a defensive co coordinator at the end of my career. Uh, going back to talking about your family of origin, which, you know, the older I get, the more fascinated I am by people and how they were raised. Your dad worked for U.S. Steel. What did he do for U.S. Steel, and how did that shape your life? My dad was a tool and die maker, Anna, and uh, don't ask me what that is, but he'd make the dies. He'd make the dies for nails and things of that nature. I know that much. And my summer job, when I was in college, oftentimes was in U.S. Steel. Uh, not actually in his department. One year in his department, which was, was wonderful, but other years was at a different department, like coal reduction and things of that nature. And let me tell you, walking into U.S. Steel and then clocking in and clocking out and then walking out of U.S. Steel, there was no doubt in my mind I was going to graduate from college and do something from there because I did not want that kind of life. And, and I'm going to, my dad, I can't say enough good things about my dad. My dad was an unbelievable father as far as supporting us. We always had clean clothes and we always had 
great food, and we always had plenty of love. We didn't have a lot of money, but those three things got us a long way. And my dad taught me about hard work because when he would come home from the steel mill and he worked, uh, you know, they had days and swing ship, which is uh, like 2 to 11, and then sometimes graveyard. Every two weeks he'd have a different shift. When he was on his day's working shift, he would come home and drive a chlorine truck, deliver chlorine back in the day, which I would help him with, and then he might umpire or officiate games at night to get, and then on the weekends, he'd work in a gas station. Wow. You think about a guy working an eight-hour shift in the steel mill and then then doing other jobs to uh, put food on our table, clothes on our back, and still being there with all the love and support and never miss games if he could make it. Uh, A wonderful man and a great person to uh, try to, uh, I try to shape my life and be a parent after my dad because he showed us the way. Football became big for you guys. You and your brother Joe. I think Joe went to Boise State and then was later at De La Salle coaching uh, high school kids, part of the big success there. Um, what was it about football that drew you guys towards that sport? You know, it, it's it's funny, John, because I've been asked this a lot. My brother Joe, by the way, was an All-American quarterback at Boise State. I'm going to brag about him a little bit. He's in the Boise State Hall of Fame, and they won the national championship at their level. I think it was Division Two at the time in 1980. The last pass he threw was with 20 seconds left for a touchdown to win the national championship. Joe and I were both better baseball players than we ever were football players, without a doubt. And, and not bragging on that, we just were. Uh, but when I went to UC Davis during orientation in August, I was watching the team practice uh, during my orientation and was actually up there on a visit. And I said, I could play on the freshman team. And my buddy said, that's the varsity. So I went out and uh, started my first year at running back. And the rest is history. And it just kind of drew me towards football. And I never followed up on baseball like I should have because I had a girlfriend and I was a, a mama's boy and I had to come <laughs> home every weekend. I had to come home every weekend for pasta and didn't understand that. Nick Aliotti, this is college. Go to college. There's all kinds of things out there. You're a baseball player. you got to play baseball. But uh, it worked out okay. But I always regret the fact that I didn't follow up on the baseball. Uh, I got drafted in the 18th round by the 18th round out of high school by the Kansas City Royals. So baseball was my sport by far, but as I say, it worked out okay. Nick Aliotti with us, uh, longtime Oregon defensive coordinator, now an analyst with the Pac-12 Networks. Uh, These two teams, Washington and Oregon, will play at Autzen on Saturday. Uh, I want to ask you, what, what do you think happens in this game? I think Oregon's going to be too much for Washington, but what do you see? I think it's going to be very high scoring. Two offenses that are really playing quite well, scoring a lot of points. It should be an offensive fireworks, and I think that's exciting. But defensively, nobody's really stepped up in this entire league. You know, you don't really have those standout 
real standout defensive players that I'm used to seeing. But what I see is two offenses really battling, scoring a lot of points, and in the end, the Oregon defense has a little bit more, in my opinion, than Washington's defense, and the Oregon offense has been outstanding, absolutely incredible under Bo Nix and Lanning uh, and Dillingham. I just think the offense at Oregon is a little bit too much. They could run it. They could throw it, whereas Washington relies on the pass. And I don't think you could ever win a game if you truly rely on the pass when it's a championship-caliber type game, and that's what this is this weekend. Coach, uh, before I cut you loose, by the way, this has been a fantastic interview. I told Anna yesterday I was looking forward to this. But the the best two teams in the conference, you've seen them all. You know, who do you think the best two teams are? Who would you like to see play in Vegas? Well, the best two overall teams right now when they're fully healthy are Oregon and Utah. Those are the best two teams. But I think it's going to be either it's going to be Oregon for sure versus either I think USC or UCLA. Yeah. And I got a hunch it's going to be USC. USC offensively, uh, you know, whoever wins that game, in my opinion, if they don't slip up, that being UCLA and, and USC, and there'll be some tiebreaker stuff involved. Yeah. Uh, I think the winner of that game will play Oregon in the championship game. And I, I, I think UCLA's a little better team because they play better defense. Yeah. But that Caleb Williams at USC, John, uh, is pretty special. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's going to be Oregon for sure. And if you had to, if I had to give you an answer right now, I'm going to say UCLA because I think they play a little bit better defense than uh, USC does. All right, Coach. Hey, I appreciate you joining us. Uh, I will see you at the stadium, and uh, let's stay in touch. But thanks for sharing your stories and your expertise. I think there's a lot of life lessons in what you're talking to when you talk about family. John, I always appreciate coming on. You know that. Uh, I'm a big fan of yours, and I think I'm a bigger fan of Anna's. One of these days we're going to have dinner together. Let's do the it. The Aliotis and the Gonzanos, and uh, wishing you guys nothing but the best. Thank you so much. I look forward to it. Let's let's make that happen. Yeah, let's not just say that. I know. Everybody let's always do, says, yeah. let's do dinner. Let's make yeah. it happen, all right? Yes. Next time you and Kathy are up this way, let's do it. Love to, and, I, and you're right. I got to make that happen. All you right, guys cool. have a great night. All right, there he is, Nick Aliotti, man of the world. Grant, you know, it's interesting. You talk about parallels. Like Aliotti, his father works in the steel mill. Mm -hmm. My grandfather worked in the steel, you know, mill. His dad worked for U.S. Steel. But um, just love those interviews. Will you learn something about somebody's journey? Maybe we can all take something from that. I want you to leave it here. You got the BFT statewide. Hi, this is John Canzano. I have a question for you. Are you a business owner? Do you like free government money? If so, listen up. The federal government has promised more than $135 billion in tax refunds for small and medium-sized businesses that kept employees on payroll through COVID. Business owners are eligible for the employee retention credit even if they received PPP funds. 
RefundsPro.com specializes in cutting through the red tape of qualifying for this government program to make it quick and easy. RefundsPro does all the heavy lifting, and most of their refunds are more than $100,000. Couldn't you use that money right about now? There's no downside to apply and absolutely no fees unless you receive a refund. RefundsPro.com has helped hundreds of businesses qualify. And the best part? You don't have to pay a penny back to the government. This is as close as it gets to free government money. There's a deadline, so visit RefundsPro.com to get started before it's too late. Once again, that's RefundsPro.com. Hey, John Canzano here with the bald-faced truth on your health and wellness. It's simple things. Everybody looking for a shortcut, but it's simple things that'll make you feel better. Diet, exercise, good night of sleep. But I stumbled onto something in the last year that is an absolute game changer for me and my family. We discovered Cherish. 96 cherries in every bottle of Cherish. I've talked about the health benefits of Cherish for the last year. In particular, it helps reduce inflammation. Also, it helps you get more sleep. You don't want to be walking around with your joints swollen, your muscles swollen. doesn't feel good, right? Also, you need that sleep, and Cherish can help you with it. It's helped me, it's helped my family, and we love the way it tastes. Give it a try and tell me what you think. You can find Cherish in the produce section at Safeway. That's the bald-faced truth. You can look for a shortcut or a gimmick all you want. Or you can just drink Cherish, feel better, sleep better, and be healthier. Cherish. The Portland Metro RV Show is back and better than ever. Join us November 10th through the 13th at the Expo Center. It's the oldest and largest RV show in Portland with more than 400 RVs filling the Expo Center. New manufacturers, new models, and new floor plans. Get two-for-one admission coupons at PortlandMetroRV.com. The Portland Metro RV Show is back November 10th through the 13th at the Expo Center. Just imagine where it might take you. Think it's too early to start dreaming of a white Christmas? Then I might have an offer that'll change your mind. Purchase a new furnace from ATEMP by November 15th, and if an inch of snow falls at the Portland Airport on Christmas Day, we'll give you a full refund. Let ATEMP keep your family comfortable this winter with their best-in-town guarantees and a 10-year parts and labor warranty. It's an opportunity you don't want to miss. So let it snow, let it snow, and your furnace is free. Family-owned for over 50 years, ATEMP Heating, Cooling, and Electrical. CCD 71878. Millions protect their homes from power outages with Generac Home Standby Generators. Would you like to be part of this lucrative industry? Generator Supercenter, the nation's number one Generac generator dealer, has limited franchise opportunities in your area. Learn more at GeneratorFranchise.com. Butcher Boys off 4th Plain in Vancouver, your place for smoked and fresh, not frozen turkeys. I'm not sure which one Tina and I will have this year. Maybe both of them. Join me in making Butcher Boys part of your Thanksgiving this year. Call and reserve your turkey today. How did hiring the right person become so difficult? Well, it doesn't have to be. Alpha Digital already has targeted databases built to very qualified candidates that are just looking for the right opportunity. That allows you to target exactly who you're trying to reach with a budget that is customized just for you. Learn about all the possibilities by going to alphamediadigital.com today. Find your next star employee with alphamediadigital.com. Connect to this radio station from all across the country. Stream us anywhere, anytime. Listen to us now on the free iHeartRadio app. Your favorite radio station is just one tap away. Download the free iHeartRadio app and search for this station so you never miss a moment. You don't sit behind a desk every day to earn a living. You're out and about making it happen. 
And sometimes you get a little bit behind on your paperwork, you know, like bookkeeping and paying your taxes. It's easy to get behind on paying your taxes. It happens to the best of us. And you know what happens next. The big bad IRS comes knocking on your door. And when that happens, you need to call the good old boys at the tax doctor. Let them do what they do best. Deal and negotiate with the IRS so you pay the lowest you can in back taxes that the law allows. We are a 100% U.S.-based company, and we've saved our clients millions over the years in back taxes. If you owe $10,000 or more in back taxes, call my friends right now at the tax doctor and learn more. 800-340-1040. 800-340-1040. Eight hundred three four zero ten forty. Again, that's eight hundred three four zero ten forty. Paid for by the tax doctor. Back to the bald faced truth with John Canzano on seven fifty. The game. Coming up top of the hour, we'll do the five at five, five biggest stories, biggest baddest stories going on. Uh, Anna's working on that right now. Five, the big five. We should call it the big five. Big five? The fiver. You know what I mean? Five. <laughs> I, I laugh because. Hawaii five O. You say they're the most important stories? Yeah. And yeah, but uh, it, it's all hyperbole. Is it? Yeah. Okay. I'm drumming Maybe I'm, too, I'm taking you too literally. Cause I know often the stories I present likely are not the most important stories with a capital I. Let's be real. There's n there's really nothing that I'm going to do on this show <laughs> that is going to be more important than the stuff that is going on in the households of our listeners. <laughs> That's true. We're not going <laughs> to save a life on this show. Well, maybe we might. Maybe, maybe. maybe. Save a life. Uh, we'll leave the door open for that. We might uh, encourage somebody to do CPR. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, we are, uh, you know, it's not going to be more important than the parenting that they're going to do, but they might get a parenting tip. Yeah, from us? Yeah. No, listen to us. I no. also think, <laughs> no. I and I believe this, this is not hyperbole. I think the listeners of our show are smarter than the listeners of other sports radio shows. What I, makes you think that? It's anecdotal, but... I talked to some other people who, and I grew up with people who listen to sports radio. Mm -hmm. mm, not very bright. <laughs> but the listeners of this show, I meet them, uh -huh. and I go, hey, these are well-rounded people. Oh, they have great callers. I mean, yeah. callers are amazing. They, they have call lives. They bring up phenomenal points. The, they're, not, they're not like in their mom's basement. So I think they're well, smarter. Okay too. No, I think they're smarter, and I think they're better looking. Better looking. Than other yeah. radio yeah, show fit. audiences. Yeah. More yeah. healthier, they'll live longer. <laughs> That's why you stick around for the five we got greatest the hottest stories. Crowd. We got the hottest crowd. <laughs> we got the hot people here. All right, we're and, behind and the ropes. Working on the show look, too. look at the rest of these working. trolls. <laughs> All right, leave it right here. B F F T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Well, coming up right here on 750 The Game, uh, at about 515, you're going to get Falcons-Panthers Thursday night football. Atlanta now a two-and-a-half point favorite over the Carolina Panthers. In the meantime, we're going to give you the five biggest baddest stories going on in sports the big five at five right here let's do it 
The Five at Five. Well, the Attorney General for Washington, D.C. has filed a civil lawsuit against the Washington Commanders. Also, team owner Daniel Schneider, the NFL, and Commissioner Roger Goodell, they're suing everyone for allegedly colluding to deceive fans about the league's investigation into the team's toxic workplace culture and allegations of sex assault in an effort to maintain a strong fan base and increase profits. Basically, they're suing because you can't lie to D.C. residents in order to protect your image, according to the Attorney General in Washington, D.C. They opened the investigation last fall. They will subpoena Daniel Schneider. They'll subpoena employees. They are promising accountability and transparency. This is not what the NFL needs or wants unless you really want Daniel Schneider out of this league. They have the jurisdiction to sue because of a consumer protection law in the District of Columbia. Keep an eye on this. Anna, number two. Interesting interview Erin uh, Andrews did explaining why she left ESPN for Fox Sports. She's saying that ultimately she left because ESPN never offered her a role on Monday Night Football and she didn't think it was ever going to happen. I thought it was interesting because she spoke to people like Mike Krzyzewski and former Oregon football coach Chip Kelly now with UCLA, both of whom I guess she developed relationships with during her time as a college sideline reporter. She said that uh, Coach K was telling her, how many Alabama LSU games are you going to do? When is it time for you to move on? She says she called Chip Kelly the night it was announced that she was leaving ESPN bawling. She said, I don't know if I made the right decision. I hope I don't regret this. And he said, don't look back. Just look forward. Is that a pretty good Chip That's Kelly That's a pretty good Chip there? Kelly. Yeah. So Chip Kelly offering uh, career advice to Aaron Andrews. Chip Kelly's Back not, not going to be my call. <laughs> you know, he wasn't my call. When I said, I'm going rogue, I'm going johnconzano.com. But he did talk to me at Media Day. He said, hey, I like it. Yeah. Betting on yourself. There you go. See? See? So, but I didn't, get, I didn't cry. Number three, <laughs> LeBron James. By the way, LeBron did not suffer a tear in his groin on Wednesday. MRI today showed late in the Lakers' loss to the Clippers. That was not a groin tear. LeBron and the 2-9 and nine Lakers are struggling, though. LeBron uh, telling uh, reporters post-game, well, you tell me, is this sour grapes? I love physicality, um, but I also would like for the whistle to be blown when I get hit. I mean, four free throws once again. I looked at a lot of guys tonight, shoot a lot of jump shots, and they're going 9, 13, time to the, to the free throw line. I gotta learn how to flop or something. Seriously. I'm LeBron uh, with some sour grapes in my opinion. I have to learn how to flop. No, just play better. The Lakers are bad. Anna, number four. Uh, Nike co-founder and chairman Phil Knight goes on CNBC talking about Kyrie Irving's future with the shoe giant and says that he doubts that they're going to go back. So far, they have suspended their relationship with Kyrie Irving, but he said in an interview that Kyrie stepped over the line. It's kind of that simple. He made some statements that we just can't abide by, and that's why we ended the relationship, and I was fine with that. So I don't know where that's going to go, but he's saying at Nike that they believe there's no place for hate speech and condemn any form 
of anti-Semitism. So it seems like a little more than a suspension. Seems like their relationship with Kyrie Irving is over. And keep in mind, Phil Knight, he's it's he's not involved in the day-to-day at Nike. No. The fact that he is coming out tells me that this is important to Nike's brand, that they distance themselves from Kyrie Irving. Yeah. And he doesn't do a lot of interviews. Like no. That. I was surprised. It, this is interesting that he came out. I think it's notable. Finally, the fifth thing, Nick Saban is frustrated. His football team's lost two games this season. Both the defeats came on the last play of the game. Tennessee got him. And then uh, Alabama got him. And he almost got beat by Texas. Nick Saban says that they haven't played very well. And he says it is what it is. And he accepts the responsibility. He says we don't have much problem in practice. Well, most of us don't, Coach Saban. Welcome to the real world. <laughs> That's the five at five. Five big things going on. Uh, really cool. I want to play a clip here. Uh, I didn't include this in the five at five because sometimes um, I uh, I want to save this. But Danny Cannell on CBS Sports um, is predicting that Washington will cover the spread against Oregon. Now, this guys, this goes against what I thought. I believe all three of us have Oregon winning big. Do we not? Uh, I took Washington. You took Washington. So you and Danny Canal are the haters. That makes me not feel great. Okay. So <laughs> I want to play no Danny Canal, Stephen and Danny Canal in the same side of the street here. Uh, here's Danny Canal talking about why he thinks Washington will cover the spread. Oregon has covered the spread four weeks in a row. They haven't had five weeks in a row since 2015. I don't think they match that. I'm with you on Washington. I Michael Penix is playing great. He's flourishing in this offense. I think they'll be able to light up this Oregon Ducks defense. And even though Bo Nix has played fantastic, he's been phenomenal, there's still a couple times, even the game, what was it, we had three interceptions and they still had four touchdowns. Yep. He, there's, there's always kind of the threat of the Bo Nix that's a little bit of a roller coaster ride. And we haven't seen it. I wonder if it comes out in this game. I think Oregon wins, but I think Washington keeps it close. I think this is more of a 7-10 to 10 point type of game. No, I disagree with Danny Cannell. I think Oregon wins this going away. And here, you know, here's the bottom line. It, you know, Washington's not built to give Oregon problems. Oregon's offensive line is the best in the conference. Washington, I watched them against Oregon State. You know, if Oregon State hits a couple of open receivers, Oregon State scores a whole bunch of points. But this season, Washington's defense has just not been good. That's It's not their strength. They like to throw the ball. They like to pile up a bunch of yards. And against a lot of teams, they get touchdowns. But I'm looking at Washington sort of as an approximation of UCLA. I don't think Washington's as good as UCLA on either side of the ball. I think, I think UCLA is just a little better on offense and a lot better on defense. And UCLA struggled to stay close to Oregon at Autzen Stadium. They lost by 15, and that's why I think this is more like 48-24 Oregon. Well, like, so I pick Washington most of the points. I think his argument of we could see the Bo Nix game, I think that is crazy talk. Like, I think Bo Nix yeah. has showed us enough this season in that offense where he's going to be good. I just think Washington's going to be able to score enough points. That That's my argument. So I think yeah. like what Cannell is saying is so far off base that like that is the crazy part. It f- sounds to me like he hasn't watched Oregon. Like, yeah. he's, he, it's kind of the narrative from, like, week two, week three of the season. Like, you know, Mr. Hot Mess, Bo Picks, all that stuff. Like, Bo Nix has just looked so comfortable. If Oregon – if Washington covers the spread here, it, it's not going to be because Bo Nix throws a bunch of interceptions. It would just be, for your reason, like, it would be Michael Penix Jr. in Washington scoring a bunch of points. 
which, you know, they could do it, but I just I think they're going to be a lot like UCLA where they trade field goals for touchdowns with, with Oregon. And, you know, UCLA scored on every possession, okay? It, you know, into the second half, they had scored on every possession, and they were down by 22 points against Oregon. And I, I Martin Jarma on the UCLA AD, I was watching the second half with him a little bit of that UCLA-Oregon game, and I said, you guys have scored on every possession, and you're behind by 22 points. And he said, I didn't realize Oregon's offensive line was this good. If Oregon plays its game, I think they're going to uh, have no problem getting to 48 or so points against Washington. Uh, I, you know, Again, weird things happen, of course. We're back tomorrow with another great show, Friday show. I will be uh, live inside a football stadium tomorrow. Find out where I'm going to be. If you are listening in Portland on 750 The Game, I want you to stay tuned here as Marcus Mariota and the, and the Falcons will take on the Panthers.